you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. All right. Man, I've been loving this series that we've been in for the past several weeks on the life of King David called Heart Transplant. And I've said this several times in this series, there's so much that we can learn through the life of a man who was declared by God himself as a man after God's own heart. There's so much that we can draw from his life and and learn from his life. And uh, just a couple of weeks in the community group that my wife and I are, are able to be a part of, which I have been loving so much. And I had the opportunity, by the way, to visit another community group. We loved it. We're going to uh, have the opportunity to, to visit the other one. And so if you are a part of that other one, we will be there. Uh, I believe we, we talked about not this week, but the next week. So I'm, I'm excited about that as well. But, but this guy, he, he and his wife were actually visiting our group a couple of weeks ago. They're friends of the, the hosts. And uh, he, he mentioned something that I thought was really neat. He said whenever he reads First and Second Samuel specifically, there's so much meat on some of the individual's lives in these books, especially Saul and David, that he feels like he knows them personally. And I couldn't agree with him more. I feel like, especially when it comes to David's life, when you read First, Second Samuel, and then some of the Psalms too and Chronicles, there's so much on his life. I feel like every time that I'm reading these texts, especially First and Second Samuel, I feel like I'm revisiting an old friend. There's, there's more uh, text, there's more scripture in the Bible on the life of King David than anybody else in the Bible except for Jesus Christ himself. It's amazing. And, and David is one of those guys, when I get to heaven, man, I can't wait to meet him. I can't wait to meet him. That's one of the most amazing things about the gospel is the fact that when we read these stories about these different men in the Bible, these aren't just like characters. Honestly, I try really hard not to say that word character because I hope nobody ever calls me a character one day. Like these are people and the Bible. And one day we will have the opportunity to meet these people. Think about that. How amazing is that? Having a conversation with Abraham and with Moses and David and Paul and John and some of these other guys. And David is one of those guys I cannot wait to meet. I think after uh, Jesus, it's going to be Paul and David. And I think there's going to be probably a long line of people waiting to get to him and, and talk with them and maybe have a cup of coffee if there's coffee and heavy. Just, just, just talk with them. And uh, I, I don't think I'm the only one. But the thing is, as, as popular as, as uh, David is and as well-known and as well-loved as David is, and not just in the Christian community, but think about it. How many people, even in the secular community, especially in this, in this, uh, in this nation, haven't heard some of the stories about David? Like, think about how many people haven't heard about David and Goliath, even in the secular world. Like, he is so well-known and so well-loved by so many people. But the thing is, it wasn't always like that for him. Actually, in many ways, it was the complete opposite at several points in his life. Because several points in his life, he felt very alone and very abandoned, even. But no matter what he went through in his life, no matter uh, the hardships that he endured, and this man endured more hardships and suffering and pain and loss than most anyone ever does. But through it all, no matter how bad it got, he knew that God never left him for even a single moment. Because God never abandons his own. That's the big idea that we're going to be focusing on today. God never abandons his own. And as we dive into the text today, we're going to see how true and how amazing that is. Again, the fact that God never abandons his own. Let's pray. Father, Daddy, 
we thank you so much for being our daddy. We thank you for not only creating us, but for creating a way back to you. The divide that, that our sin created, the separation that our sin created, that, that we created, not you, that distance us from you. And we thank you for this, this gospel message, your plan of redemption, where you provided a way through Jesus Christ to come back into relationship with, with you, to adopt us into your family as your little boys and your little girls that you love so much. We have the opportunity now because of what Jesus Christ has done in our place to call you Daddy and to go boldly before your throne and make our requests known. And so, Daddy, I thank you so much for that. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your plan of redemption. I pray if there's anybody here today that's never responded to that, that's never given their life and their heart to Jesus Christ for salvation and in order to come back into this relationship with you as, your, as their heavenly father, I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would, make, you would work on their lives and you would perform that miracle of salvation that only you can. And I pray that all of us in here, that we would come into a closer relationship with you, knowing that, that you are our daddy, that you want an intimate relationship with every single one of us, and you want an intimate relationship for us within your family, your forever family, the body of Christ. And so I pray that you would help us to respond, and I pray that you would help us to grow closer to you and closer to your people. Holy Spirit, just take over and work in and through me, a broken, sinful man, to me and to your people. We praise you and we love you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So today we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. We've been in 1 Samuel for a little while now, so the, the chapter is 22. And as you're turning or clicking, if you've got your phone, I think a lot of people, that's, that's the main Bible nowadays is the phone, and that's fine. So turning or clicking to 1 Samuel 22, let me give you kind of a little backstory to catch us up to speed, because we're skipping over a couple of chapters in the text that we're going to be in today. So if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about Saul's relationship with David. And we talked about how, at the beginning, the relationship seemed pretty good, for the most part. It seemed like, for the most part, there was mutual respect with, between these two men. David loved and respected Saul as his king and as his leader. And, da- and uh, Saul respected David, at least seemingly, as a man, as a warrior, so much so that he raised him up. He promoted him to the position of a commander within the nation of Israel's army, which is a very high-ranking position. And so it seemed like, for the most part, they had a pretty good, pretty decent relationship. But then all of that changed in just a moment. There was a complete 180-degree turn, a shift in Saul's relationship, his perspective, and his views towards David. Really, the shift happened within Saul. And all of it happened because of a few simple words in a song. A few simple words in a song that that caused Saul to turn from respecting David and wanting to work with him and wanting him to be a commander in his army to literally hating David, loathing him, being so jealous and consumed with rage that he wanted to kill him. And the very next day, he did try to kill him, not just once, but twice the very next day. And so that's where we were at a couple of weeks ago. We dove into that. And in this in-between space, from then until now, in the text we're going to be in today, David has gotten married to Saul's daughter, 
Um, they love each other. It's a great relationship. But what happened with Saul is this, this jealousy and this rage, this resentment started growing and festering more and more and more. He was so consumed in it that he would stop at nothing to either have David kill or to kill him himself. And so David noticed this and his friend Jonathan, which is Saul's son, his best friend, warns him about this. And David has no choice at this point. He has to run for his life or Saul's going to kill him. So he runs from his life. He has to leave everything behind. And when he's on the run, he doesn't know where to go. And so for whatever reason, he actually goes to his enemies. He goes to the, to the Philistine, one of the cities in the, uh, that's occupied by the, the nation of the Philistines. And the Philistines, this is, this is really significant because the Philistines are the ones that they just beat in war. They were their enemies. That's where Goliath was from. But this is where David goes to seek solace, to seek refuge, probably thinking maybe he can run under the radar and nobody will know him, and that's probably the last place that Saul would look for him. But the problem with that is everybody knows who David is. David is the dude that took down Goliath. David is the guy who's a commander in the nation of Israel's army, one of their best warriors. They knew exactly who he was. So David couldn't even find any solace or refuge with his enemies. And with nowhere else to run, not really knowing what to do, David goes and heads towards a cave. And that's what we're going to pick up in the text today. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 22, starting with verse 1. It says this. So David left Gath. Gath is the place where he was at, the Philistine territory. And took refuge in the cave of Adullam. When David's brothers and his father's whole family heard, they went down and joined him there. In addition, every man who was desperate and debt or discontented rallied around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. From there, David went to Mizpah of Moab, where he said to the king of Moab, please let my father and mother stay with you until I know what God will do for me. So he left them, talking about his parents, in the care of the king of Moab, and they stayed with him the whole time David was in the stronghold. So at this point in time, David has gone from being this iconic, heroic figure within the nation of Israel. The guy that literally took down Goliath, the the, the dude Goliath that nobody else would go up against. Thereby helping to save the entire nation of Israel. He was promoted to a commander, again, very high ranking position in the nation of Israel's army. And all of this happened before David was even old enough to technically be in the army. And so all the notoriety and the the respect that came with that, the security that came with that, the financial security that came with that. He had a place at the king's table. He was married and to Saul's daughter who loved him, he loved her. He had a great relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son. They were like brothers. They had each other's backs and they loved each other as they loved themselves. And everyone in the entire nation of Israel loved and respected David. Everyone except for Saul. And now his entire life has gone from essentially the world's perspective being on top of the world to the complete opposite, 180 degree turn. Because David has gone from having all these people around him who love him and respect respect him, his new bride, Jonathan, these other people around the nation of Israel that love him and respect him as a commander to now being completely alone. He has nobody with him. He went from having this this job that has high notoriety, high respect, uh, the security along with it, to everything being stripped from him. And he has nothing. Again, all alone. And he's running for his 
life. And he goes to this cave and he sits in this cold, dark, lonely cave, literally hiding for his life. And if you think about it, how easy would it have been for him to allow fear and depression to start creeping in? And these moments as he's hiding in this cave and all alone, everything has been stripped from him, seeming like all hope is lost, all his security is gone. Everything that he worked for, his success, everything taken from him. And how easy would it have been for him to allow anger and resentment to start setting in? Because David did nothing to deserve this. David did everything that Saul asked him to do. And he worked hard for the position of the commander in the army. He did everything Saul asked him to do. He loved and respected Saul. And now look at him. Everything's been stripped of him, running for his life, hiding in this cave. And so how easy would it have been to allow these things, fear, depression, anger, and resentment to start setting in and boiling over so much so that you start reaching and grabbing for anything and everything that you can get your hands on to fill those, those voids you feel like you have in your life, to, to fill the void for hope because it seems like all hope is lost or, or to fill the void for security because everything's been taken from you. Or what about companionship because you are all alone? How easy would it have been for him to start reaching and grabbing for anything that he can get his hands on, to start filling those voids in his life? But what's so amazing about this situation, this cave that David found himself in, is the fact that he chose. And we need to wrap our heads around this. This was a conscious, willing decision that David made in his cave, all alone. He chose to find his hope in God, even in the middle of his cave, even in the middle of his cave. He chose to lean into God. He chose to look to to his knowledge, to his understanding rather than his own because he knew that God was the only one that could fill his needs. He knew he couldn't find it at the end of a bottle. He couldn't find it in some kind of success or some kind of a job or anything else that the world had to offer. He couldn't, find it in, he couldn't find it in sex. He couldn't find it in notoriety. He couldn't find it in security, material possessions, anything. Because he knew that everything and everyone in this life will fail you in some way. David knew that because he had everything stripped from him. And the same thing is true for us. Everything and everyone in your life will fail you in some way at some point. But God never will. God never will. And David knew that no matter how bad it got, even in the middle of his cave, in the middle of some of his deepest pain and suffering, that God would never leave him. God would never abandon him, even for a single moment. And you want to know what's amazing? is the fact that when you belong to Jesus, he'll never abandon you either. No matter how bad things get, no matter how rough things seem, no matter what you're going through in your life, he will be with you every single step of the way. And he'll never abandon you for even a single moment. And what's interesting too in this story is the fact that God wasn't the only one that met David in the middle of this cave. Because David had people in his life who were willing to meet him there in his darkest moments in the middle of that cold, dark, 
lonely cave. They were willing to step into that cave with him. And so that generates the question, what relationships are you developing in your life so that when your cave comes, and notice I said when, not if, because you're either in the middle of a cave, you're in the middle of a period of suffering, you're in the middle of a period of pain or loneliness or loss or heartache, or it's just around the corner. And I don't say that to be a downer. I'm just saying that because I'm taking the mask off and I'm being real. This isn't a fairy tale story. David's cave was very real, and so are ours. And so what, deve- what relationships are you developing so that when your cave comes, you don't have to experience that cave alone? What relationships are you developing in your life? So that when you get that negative doctor's report and it sends you there, or when you experience that loss in your life, like the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one, and it sends you there. Or how about this, when the pressures of life just in general the stress from your job, from relationships, other struggles in your life, they just all start weighing you down, bogging you down, and you feel like you can't even barely move anymore. You feel like you don't even barely have any motivation to get out of bed at some points. Who will meet you in the middle of those points in your life to give you the strength and the encouragement that you need? What relationships are you developing and who specifically, who are you developing those relationships with? Something I've talked about so many times in, in, in sermons, either an individual sermon, or I try to make these plugs or in conversations with, these, with people, is the fact that we aren't just created for relationship with God. We're created for relationship with the family of God, with each other. Guys, that was true in a perfect, sinless world. How much more true is it in a world where we do struggle with sin? Where we do experience these caves in life? Guys, you aren't meant to go through these caves alone. Who in your life will be willing to get into the muck with you? And as you go through these these experiences in your life and these burdens are weighing you down, these burdens that you cannot carry on your own, who will be willing to help you carry those burdens? in the middle of those dark moments in their life, in the middle of your caves. Because here's the thing in this story, David was never meant to go through this cave alone. God never intended for him to go through this cave alone. And guess what? You aren't either. None of us are. You are not meant to go through those pains and that heartache and that suffering and that loss alone. God never intended for you to. And so hear me in love, don't wait to get connected. Don't wait to plug into this relationship, number one, with God, but then also with his people and start developing these relationships, deep, meaningful, intimate relationships within the family of God. And if you aren't familiar with it, here at Victory Church, we have what we call community groups. These little home churches, they meet at different locations, different uh, points throughout the, uh, the county, and at different days. And that's intentional because we want to make it as easy as possible, as accessible as possible for you to be able to plug in. These are the places where you can develop those deep, intimate relationships within the family of God. So if you're not plugged in, I want to encourage you, man, don't wait. Don't wait to get plugged in. Don't wait. I think for a lot of us, man, in love, 
I think it's time for maybe some of us that have been using even some excuses. And sometimes they're not excuses, but sometimes there are. And I think when we're honest with ourselves, we start to realize that. And I think it's time for us to start giving our excuses excuses as to why we can't afford not to plug in. Because you can't. We can't. Plug in so that you don't have to experience these caves of life alone. And in the middle of this cave, there, there were a couple of different groups of people that were willing to meet David. And the first group of people were his relatives. They were his family. And these were the people that David had developed the deep, meaningful, intimate relationships with. So when they found out what David was going through, and he was running for his life, and he was all alone in this cave, they were willing to go and meet him there in the middle of that cave and surround him in the middle of his deepest sorrow, his deepest pain and loss in his life. That was the first group of people that met David in the middle of that cave. And the second group of people were, were really highly unlikely, honestly. It, it's really interesting because the second group of people, they were, from society standards, they were the outcasts and the rejects and the misfits of society. They were the people that in society's mind were completely unworthy and unqualified to do much of anything. That's who these people were, the second group of people that met David in that cave. And if you think about it, think back and kind of follow the ball back to the beginning. Think about how David was perceived, how people looked at David before he was raised up to the position of a commander in the army of the nation of Israel and had all the success and notoriety and respect with it, before he ever went up against Goliath and took Goliath down. Before all of that, David was a shepherd boy. He was an unqualified, unworthy peasant shepherd boy considered by everybody, even his own family, as essentially unworthy to do much of anything other than tend a few sheep. But now God is about to take this unworthy shepherd boy and he's about to turn him into the leader of a bunch of unqualified, unworthy men. And catch this, he's about to take this cave that these unworthy men are in and turn it into the training ground for their future. The place where God was going to turn these unqualified, unworthy men into one of the greatest fighting forces alive at that point in time. And he's about to take this unqualified, unworthy shepherd boy turned soldier and mold him into the greatest king the nation of Israel ever saw other than King Jesus himself. And one of the most powerful things about this story is the fact that these men, all of them, including David, they went into that cave as broken and unqualified in some way. That's how they went into the cave. But they came out of that cave, the word tells us is at a later point in scripture, they came out of that cave as mighty men. Mighty men. Because God had completely transformed their lives in the middle of their cave. But here's the thing, David had to be willing to see his cave the period of his time where he experienced some of the greatest sorrow, some of the greatest depression, some of the greatest pain and suffering that he ever experienced in his life. He had to be willing to see that point in his life, his cave, as his training ground, as the place where God would do his greatest work in his life. And that's exactly what God did. He did his greatest work in David's life in the middle of his cave. And David took that mindset and he encouraged the other men that were with him to do the same. 
to refuse to give in to this feeling of hopelessness and despair and depression, to refuse to just dwell on these things like hopelessness, despair, anger, suffering, pain, the other things that they were going through in their lives, to refuse to dwell on them and instead to embrace them as God's forging fire in their lives where he would do his greatest work in their lives as well. And that's exactly what he did. He did his greatest work in all of those men's lives in the middle of their cave. Right in the middle of their period of suffering and pain and anguish that they were experiencing. And and the training that they experienced in their life, it it wasn't just fighting, because again, they came out of that, that cave, David and his mighty men, they were some of the greatest warriors, some of the greatest fires around. And you can read about that in the text, David and his mighty men. It's pretty amazing the things that they accomplished. But it wasn't just fighting that they were doing in that cave as far as training. Their training also consisted of forging deep, intimate relationships with one another. Very deep, very intimate relationships with one another. These men were inseparable. And one of the stories that I love, it it really tells us how deep the relationships that David and these men had with one another. It was this period in time when when they were in this cave together, David and these men. And David is experiencing this time of depression in the middle of this cave, this kind of low point. He's getting really homesick and he's getting depressed and he's, he's thirsty as well. And it's, it's really amazing. It's one of these moments, there's so many of in, in David's life where we can look at this man of God, a man that was declared by God himself as a man after God's own heart. And we can see these moments of transparency where he really struggled. And as we're struggling with our life, we can read these stories. That's one of the things I love about David's life because he's so transparent. And so these are one of these moments where he's just experiencing pain. He's, he's really depressed. He's homesick. He wants water. And he's talking about how he is just longing for water, specifically from the well back home in Bethlehem. He's just talking about how, how, how much he's longing for that and how homesick he is. And he's transparent with the other men around him. And I love that. I love that a lot of times in our society, talking about men in general, it's ironic that today is Father's Day because a lot of times our society looks at us and tells us as men that it's not manly to open up about your struggles. I'm gonna tell you, in love, you're probably not more manly than David was. This is one of the most manly men that ever lived, one of the greatest warriors that ever lived, the greatest king other than Jesus that ever lived. And he modeled so well, transparency, and talking about his struggles, and opening up. And I'm imagining probably even through tears. And he didn't ask anybody to do anything about this as he's opening up and he's talking about these things and homesick and he's thirsty. And some of the men that were there who overheard it, they love David so much. They catch this. They literally, not exaggerating, they literally risked their lives to leave the cave to go to Bethlehem, David's hometown, to draw out water from the well. That's all they went to get, water from that well, to bring it back to David so he could have a drink. They risked their lives to do that for David. That's how close these men were. That's the kind of intimate relationship that these men had with each other. And it was reciprocated. David felt the same way for these men. 
And so as their training went on, that was part of their training. David was forging these men in the relationship with one another, and they were developing these strong relationships. They weren't just close friends. Guys, these guys were brothers. They were brothers. They were family. They loved one another, and they had one another's backs. But the most significant part of their training in the middle of their cave, in the middle, again, of their periods of suffering and struggles and hardship and loss in their life was the relationship that they were developing with the Lord. That was the most significant, most important part of their training in that cave. Because David, along with these other men, but specifically David, knew that no matter what they experienced, no matter how hard things got, that God was right there with them every single step of the way. And that he would never abandon him, no matter what. And because of that, David made the conscious, willing decision. And I want to make sure that we grasp this. David was a man, he was a person just like all of us. He felt pain and suffering just like all of us. I think a lot of times we dehumanize the people in the Bible. This is a person experiencing more loss in his life than most of us will ever experience. And in the middle of that, he made the conscious, willing decision to praise and worship God in the middle of his suffering. In the middle of his suffering. This is one thing to worship and praise God when everything seems to be going pretty well in your life. Maybe not perfect, but seems, things seem to be kind of lining up in your life. But it's a completely different thing to honestly praise from a posture of humility, not wanting to get something from God, but from a posture of humility. Praise and worship God in the middle of the cave, in the middle of your greatest loss and suffering and pain. That takes worship to a whole new level. And that's why some of the greatest, most powerful worship songs that have ever been written were birthed from these cave experiences of life that people went through. Periods of loss, tremendous loss and suffering and heartache in their lives. And I think about songs like It Is Well With My Soul or Amazing Grace or I Have Decided to Follow Jesus and so many other songs. And if you don't know the history of those songs, go back home and look it up because you'll never look at those songs or sing those songs the same. The backstory is so powerful and the pain and the turmoil, the cave of life those individuals were experiencing that those songs were birthed from. And nobody displayed this better than David did. Nobody displayed worshiping and praising God from a position, a posture of suffering than David did. And nobody created, composed more powerful psalms in the middle of those periods of suffering, those caves of life, than David did because David wrote so many of the Psalms that we now have today that are still strengthening and encouraging us over 3,000 years later. Like wrap your head around that. Over 3,000 years later, they are still strengthening and encouraging us more than most any other songs that we have today. And what I want to do, I want to, I want to read you some of the words that David wrote while he was in this cave experience in his life. And it's not going to be up on the screen intentionally because I want you to just lean in and I want you to listen. 
And while you're listening to these words, you can close your eyes if you want to, just don't go to sleep. But as you're listening to these words, I want to encourage you to envision David in this cave, in the middle of his suffering, in the middle of tremendous loss, feeling the weight of these things, this heartache. As he's writing these things down, probably with tears coming down from his eyes and maybe even speaking them out loud, I want you to envision David in that way as I read his words. This is Psalm 34, starting with verse 1. It says, Bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see. I love this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. In Psalm 142, starting with verse 1, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I plead aloud to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaints before him. I reveal my trouble to him. Although my spirit is weak within me, you know my way. Along this path I traveled, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. No one stands up for me. There is no refuge for me. No one cares about me. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my shelter, my portion in the land of the living. The last one's this, Psalm 57, and this one is so powerful. David says, be gracious to me, God. Be gracious to me for I take refuge in you. I will seek refuge in the shadow of your wings until danger passes. I call to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He reaches down from heaven and saves me, challenging the one who tramples me. God sends his faithful love and truth. I am surrounded by lions. I lie down among devouring lions, people whose teeth are spears. What does that remind you of? Are spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. They prepared a net for my steps. I was despondent. They dug a pit ahead of me, but they fell into it. My heart is confident, God. My heart is confident. I will sing, I will sing praises. Wake up, my soul. Wake up, harp and lyre. I will wake up the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your faithful love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches the clouds. God, be exalted above the heavens. Let your glory be over the whole earth. Wow. How powerful is that? Just like David, when you belong to God, When you belong to Jesus, he will never abandon you. No matter what you go through in your life, no matter the pains, the hardships, the sufferings that you experience in your life, he will never, he has never, he will never leave you for even a single moment. He will never abandon you. And he will take that cave of life that you are experiencing and he'll turn it into the training ground for your future. 
Listen, no matter what you're going through in your life, look to him. Find your hope in him. And cry out to him. Praise him even in the middle of your suffering. Even in the middle of your cave. Just like David did. I want to end with one last verse in this text that we're in. Again, 1 Samuel chapter 22, end with verse verse 5. It says this. Then the prophet Gad said to David, don't stay in the stronghold. Leave and return to the land of Judah. So David left and went to the forest of Hereth. So evidently at this point in time, what's happened is David has gone, he has taken his family, his, his mom and his dad, who are a little bit older at this point in time. They don't need to be hanging out in caves and running for their life like David and these other younger men are. So he takes them to Mizpah. There's a story behind that. We're not going to get into it today. Takes them to Mizpah, and he seeks refuge for them there so they don't have to run with him for their lives. And so once they're secure at Mizpah, he then leaves, and he goes to another location, another stronghold or a refuge, a place where he can seek solace. And we don't know exactly where David went, but theologians agree that it wasn't the same place. He went to a different location. In other words, he wasn't at the caves anymore. And we know it was, was further away. And so for whatever reason, again, we don't really know exactly why. We don't have all the in-between the gray areas. Again, one of the reasons it's going to be great to talk with them one day. But for whatever reason, he thought this was a good plan. He thought it was a good idea for him to take him and his men to this other location further away. But the problem with that is it didn't fit into God's plan. The problem with that is God had a different plan. And so I love what God says to David through the prophet Gad. He says, don't stay in the stronghold. Leave and return to the land of Judah. See, David thought that if he took his men farther away, most likely he thought that if he took them farther away, which is what he did, that they'd probably be safer because Saul wanted to kill him. And so he took them farther away from God's people. And so what God was calling David to do through the prophet Gad in this text is he was calling David to come back home. He was calling him to come back home. And it kind of generates the question, like, why? Because from the world's perspective, a human perspective, that seems like a pretty good idea. David is running from his life. Saul wants, him to, wants to kill him. So why would he want to come closer to Saul? Wouldn't it make sense to go farther away? So why is it that God is now calling him to come back home, back into closer proximity with his people? I'll tell you why. It's because God wasn't finished with David yet. He wasn't finished with him yet. See, Saul may have been the king on the throne at that point in time, but that didn't change the fact that David was still God's anointed. That David was still the one that he wanted on his throne. That wasn't Saul's throne. That was his throne. And nothing was going to stop God from making that become a reality. Nothing had changed the fact that God still had a hope and a future and a plan for David's life. And God knew that that plan was best lived out in close proximity with him and close proximity with his people. Which is why God called him back home. Back to his people where he could raise up David into the greatest king the nation of Israel has ever seen, even to this day, other than King Jesus himself. 
And I think similar to David in this text, I think there's some people in this room that God is probably doing the same thing or something similar. I think that he's calling some of us back home. Out of some of those dark places that we've been hiding and distancing ourselves from him and from his people. And if that's you today, hear me, in love, he's calling you to come into closer proximity, closer relationship with him and with his people to get plugged in. To get plugged in. Because something's telling me that, you know what, I think there's probably some people in this room today that maybe you've been thinking and you've been putting all this time and this energy into things like your job. Pouring so much time, attention, energy into that, your job or maybe a relationship or goals or success in life. Things that like by themselves aren't bad things. They're good things. They're not bad things. But what happens is we start pouring so much time and attention into those things, too much time and attention, we start neglecting the best things. We start neglecting our relationship with God and with his people. And if that's you here today, listen to me. God is calling you back in. He's calling you back into the fold, back into closer relationship with him and with his people. He's calling you to plug in. If that's you today, then don't leave here today without responding. Don't leave here today without taking those steps. Start initiating that process and get plugged in. Getting plugged in maybe to one of the community groups. Getting plugged in into the church in some way. Getting plugged in in your relationship with Christ. And if you're like, man, I don't really know what to do, guess what? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. We'd love to talk with you about that. And we'd love to help you. And if you're here today and you've, you've been experiencing, you're going through one of these caves in life that we've been talking about today, a period of suffering and, and pain, heartache or loss, whatever that cave is that you might be experiencing in your own life, then listen, when you belong to Jesus, when you belong to Jesus, he loves you more than anything in this universe. He's not given up on you. He's not through with you yet. He has a hope and a future for your life. And he will never leave you, no matter what you go through, no matter how hard it seems like it is, even when the whole world seems to turn their back on you, he will never leave you or abandon you for even a single moment. He'll never abandon you. No matter what you're going through, look to him. Choose consciously. It's a conscious, willing decision. Choose to find your hope in him. Refuse to try to find your hope, your validation, your identity, and anything else that the world has to offer. Choose to find your hope in him. Choose to surround yourself with his people. And choose to worship and praise him in the middle of your suffering. Just like David did. As the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you guys to come on up. If you fit into one of those categories, you're experiencing a cave of life right now, or maybe you've distanced yourself from God or from his people, and you've gotten distracted by other things. If that's you, again, I want to encourage you to respond. Today is the day. Don't wait. There's nothing to wait for. Today is the day to plug in. You can come up, get prayer. You can come up, get advice. You can come up, the altar will be open. Or if you have any other prayer requests, we'd love to talk with you and pray with you. This is the place where we can be surrounded by the family of God. 
and we can get the encouragement and the strength that we need. And there's so much power in prayer. If you're here today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this, this sermon in a lot of ways has been geared specifically for people who belong to Jesus. I've been mentioning that a lot. When you belong to Jesus, and that's intentional. If you're here today and you've never given your life, your heart to Jesus, that's your response. Your response is to give your life and your heart over to him. Your response is to turn away from the sin. That's repentance, turning away from the sin, turning to Jesus and saying, here I am. I'm all yours. I don't have it all together. I don't know much, but you know what, Jesus, I believe that you are Lord and Savior. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And Jesus, I'm responding to you for salvation right here, right now. Come into my life. Save me and make me new. And if that's you today, don't wait. Come up as we stand. Go ahead and stand. Go ahead and stand. And whatever it is, as God is putting these things on your heart, come up right now even. Come up. Don't wait to respond. He loves you. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is... Um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me, what do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from, you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life, God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. 
and it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.